This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Ryan got the Rona. Corona Ryan and myself share our experiences because I had it back in September of catching the virus, what it looked like, and the perspective that it's given us before we got it and since. Sir Christopher Gilbert is live from Tokyo to talk about a massive shortage of potatoes in Japan. No french fries because of us, apparently. We look at other weird shortages in Japan, plus drunk Irishmen breaking into Romania's parliament buildings and hypnosis for movies. Greg Fish is back on the world of weird things with a topic that nearly broke our brains. Turns out it happens in our lives every day. He dives into how researchers tried to make the world's most resilient creatures part of a computer, basically. Greg shows flaws in the research and the manipulations to make the story blow up into clickbait online. All of this and more today on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. We hear an awful lot about the stats, this and vaccinate that and and all these things that we should be doing and what's going on in the world and closing this and opening that. We don't get a chance to hear very often what it's like to get COVID. In September, I was already scheduled to be off work and um, I was already sick, actually, with ear infections and such. And so it just so happened that I got COVID when I was scheduled to be off work. So I stayed off work and got it all cleaned up. We didn't really talk about it much. Uh, I didn't, you know, I mean, at the time, uh, it didn't help to share the story. Now, Ryan, through the holidays, uh, you know, has been through this too. There was a time a year ago when we talked about COVID, and if anybody got COVID, we talked about it like, you know, oh, I heard a friend of a friend, you know, got the COVID. But it wasn't really like something that you knew everybody. Now, through the course of the holidays, there's a long list, 15, maybe 20 people within one or two, you know, sort of degrees of separation that have been sick. It's a long list. And it's a different look when you look at it from the perspective of, wow, all these people around me. So uh, we thought it was worth it to sort of describe what it is. There are a couple of caveats here. Number one, we don't really know what it's like to have COVID here on the shift without being vaccinated. Um, I am vaccinated and Ryan has shared before, I'm not breaking his confidence, you know, that he is also vaccinated as well. So the thing about getting COVID when you're vaccinated, which is what the deal was all along, the deal was is that you're just going to get less symptoms and most likely not end up in the hospital. I would say as advertised for me back in September. And, uh, and Ryan has been through it over the last few years now, or last few years, last few days. Now, Ryan, give us the summary of a couple of days of what you've been through. Um, and then I would like to talk about the week before you got your positive, because that's where the story really gets good for both of us. Yeah. Um, well, so there was exposure uh, after Christmas Day. Uh, and so luckily, I have not spread it to too many people, but um, uh, I caught it. I, I woke up uh, after our show, actually, uh, on uh New Year, uh, New Year's Eve, which went Thursday into Friday, woke up Friday and uh, I had a fever and I was like, okay, this is it. This is it. I didn't even bother actually taking a PCR test. I was, it, it was pretty obvious. Uh, instantaneously, the fever was weird. It wasn't standard. You've, I felt very hot and then very cold, very hot, very cold. You know, you couldn't get comfortable. That was the worst part was you just couldn't find a position or, or, or a thing that made you comfortable. Um, 
And, you know, I, I, I kind of took it with a bit of a grain of salt. I mean, okay, it's the holidays. I have days off anyway. I mean, if I'm going to catch it, this is kind of the time that's most convenient. Um, me and my roommate will, excuse me, hunker down and we'll see how it goes. And still, it was bizarre because I hadn't had COVID this entire time and was kind of starting to think that maybe I'll, when I talk about this pandemic to my kids, I can say, yeah, no, I didn't get it. But realizing oh no this is it you know immediately it was like transported back to 2020 i had my mom dropping off groceries for me uh i felt like no time had passed in two years which was just so excuse me bizarre back to watching yeah, for movies those who, online with my yeah, for those who don't understand i mean ryan's only recently last couple of years really he's moved out from home before but this was the first time that you really separated yourself from your family very much so, yeah. And that was weird too, not having my mom to check in on me like every 20 minutes and uh, cook me dinner too. Man, washing the dishes when you're sick sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's all the little uh, things. That's right. It's all the little things. Eventually though, it was two really rough days. And I woke I, each day I woke up, I was thinking, um, this sucks. I'm very glad I'm vaccinated. If I was not vaccinated, I know that I would have been far more ill um and probably would still be much more ill too uh which i'm grateful for eventually though the fever finally broke uh it got to a point where i was so hot in the evening that i duct taped my fan to my bunk bed and if you're not familiar of my sleeping arrangement i'm currently working underneath my bed my bed is above me i have a loft bed so i duct taped a fan to it to try to keep me cold eventually when that finally broke the cough started which I haven't, I haven't been sick in two years, right? Which was very bizarre. And that, that is still my, probably my only residual symptom. Um, and then after the cough and the, the runny nose, and uh, it's weird, I'm, I'm allergic to dust. So I'm basically, I have, I have allergies every day. And I could tell the difference between my sneezing and stuffy nose from allergies and sick. I didn't feel itchy. I just felt congested. And you know, there's no way to deal with that. I was, you know, so much Advil and Tylenol. And then eventually, finally, uh, the symptoms started to change and I was tired. I slept 11 hours and I woke up feeling like I had two. I, I was just absolutely floored and there was nothing I could do to, to do about it. A nap didn't help. Nothing helped. You just had to let it run its course. And that's what I found was so interesting about COVID and the experience because I'm at the point now, it's been five days I technically could leave my house tomorrow with the mask on. I probably won't. I still have a symptom. So I, I will, I'm probably going to wait. But um, it, it, every day was different. There was no consistency here. It was just wake up and see how I'm feeling. Um, and, and also treatment-wise, you can take an Advil to try to break the fever and hope for the best. But it was very unpleasant. And it was very strange. And I'm very grateful my roommate has not tested positive. He still feels fine. So hopefully he's asymptomatic or his vaccine just worked a little bit better than mine did. Um, and also the people around me who got COVID, um, they have also had totally different symptoms. One of them has lost smell and taste. My smell and taste is a little muted, but not gone. Um, it's just been a very, I guess it's frustrating though, right? You, you take all the precautions you can. I still made a choice to go out knowing there is a risk of exposure and I got it. So it's my fault. Mm -hmm. I got COVID 100% my fault. I, I have to take full responsibility for that. Uh, and the consequence of that sucks a million percent. And today actually, sorry, yesterday was the first day I took a PCR test. 
or not PCR rapid. I was curious just to be sure. And even seeing those two lines on the test is still a little jarring, even though you've had it for several days. Um, you know, I am okay, but it, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm okay because I c- yeah. could have not been. Absolutely. There were, there were the first day the fever was so bad. I was like, am I, is this going to be rough for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, when it started for me, the, the, the thing to know is that, um, you know, I got vaccinated because of the fact that in the very beginning, I was unsure about those things in the beginning. And I think a lot of us have been, and I think that's okay to say. I, but I was unsure and I, it became, um, one of those things for me that was, I, my, my breathing's not great. Right. Like, so I, I mean, it mattered to me. So when, when the things came on and it, it my story is exactly like yours, except, you know, I mean, I went from having an ear infection to, to, and having, you know, post nasal drip and all the things that I normally get with allergies. And then I, uh, cause I do have some sinus trouble. And then I, I, um, I went from all of that to, um, oh, I can't smell the coffee. So, you know, my story was the same. It changes very, very quickly. Like three hours to three hours is a totally different experience, all that stuff. And I think one of the interesting things that, that we both share in common is you're doubtful beforehand. You do get really doubtful beforehand, but when it's all sort of unfolding, you get doubtful and you're like, no, I'm fine. No, Bennett's not COVID. And you sort of go through this routine in your head of trying to convince yourself that it's not a thing. And I think this part's important to talk about because it, it is that piece of the puzzle that lets us, that fools us a little bit into thinking we got this or it's not the COVID. And that's when it becomes the most contagious. Uh, I was guilty of saying it too. Oh no, I just, uh, I, um, I, I get post nasal drip. Oh, it's my sinuses, whatever, right? Like we make these excuses. And did you go through that too, Ryan? Just as you beforehand, before you really knew that it was there. Oh, absolutely. I actually was when we didn't have symptoms yet, but we were me and the person who I was exposed to COVID with. Uh, we went to a movie, and afterwards, you know, we got a message saying, "Hey, just so you know, you've been exposed." And we're like, "Oh, we're probably fine." You know, vaccines do their work. It might be Omicron. We'll be okay. And then a day later, they're positive. And then I kept taking tests and it was nothing. It was nothing. It was nothing. And I'm thinking, I'm fine. We're going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, it just changes in in one sleep. Uh, and then at that point, you kind of have to realize that you, you do not have full control. So that's why it's so important to follow those guidelines, those recommendations from the people that understand this better than us. Um, and, and I, I said it earlier, like we've had so many doctors and experts on the show over the past two years talking about this virus. I thought I knew what it was going to be like. I thought I understood it and I had no idea. Truthfully, no clue. Yeah. It yeah. You, you don't, you don't got it. No. Right. Like you we don't. think we got it, you know, after I've had it and Ryan's had it and you like, just so you know, you don't. You don't have it figured out. You don't, you don't know what that truly looks like. Um, you just don't. And we as people need to accept that. That's probably the biggest lesson I would say, Ryan, is that, isn't it? I mean, going through it is fine. Uh, being vaccinated and the peace of mind of knowing that you're vaccinated and that feels better is fine. Um, all of those pieces are fine, but the reality boils down to a couple of things. It boils down to you think you've, you know, this, you think you know me. You don't. You don't know this 
that's not what this is. You trust me, you have no idea of what, what this looks like. Um, and, um, and don't let it, don't let you lie to yourself. And I, I mean that from the human perspective of normal that we all do these things, not from anybody's good or bad. Um, yeah. but that's really my takeaway from it when I had it back then. Is yours similar? Because you, you sort of have to grasp the fact that, you know what, this is, I'm out of control right now. Yeah, absolutely. You have to, you do have to, you know, under come to grips with that. Um, that's a hundred percent. One of the things I'm taking away. I'm also taking away some positives. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to have the immune boost after this and then to have a booster, a shot, which I believe I'll have to wait a little bit longer to get. So probably wait a few weeks, I think a month. I'm not sure. There's one thing I'm unsure about. Um, to feel very confident going into the spring and summer about my personal protection from it. But even um, I thought about for a split second quarantining with the person that I had COVID with. But then I was like, well, what if we have different strains? Like, what if we have different exposure levels? What if we get more sick from being around each other? And it was still just like, I thought I, in that situation, knew what was best and fine. And then eventually at the end of the day, it was like, no, 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 no. Listen to everything the professionals have told you and try to take as much control as you can. I'm so glad I went that route. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Brendan Kelly is, is, I mean, he doesn't see anybody. I mean, we joke about it, of course, but the reality is, is that you haven't had it. And, and you look at this from the perspective very simply as, as long as you don't, um, yeah, like you, you, you don't have it and you won't get it unless you catch it on a train or like literally walking by someone at work. Yeah, my daily contacts are so low and so brief right now. And I did this last winter as well. Obviously opened them up a bit in the summer, um, but I've always been kind of a recluse. So I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I don't mind. I don't mind my solitude. Um, but yeah, uh, the only time I'm extended period around people is on the transit. And generally I try to sit pretty far away from people, um, as a rule of thumb, just for life for me in general, but however, even now, uh, so if I do end up getting it, that'll be, um, signed to me as to how transmissible it actually is. Right. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. Anyway, the whole point of this conversation was to hopefully share, uh, the experience of it without getting into the nitty gritty. And I figured it out as soon as I realized that, by the way, I can't smell the coffee, right? And by then, when I looked in hindsight, I'm like, I've had symptoms for two days, maybe three, right? And so it's interesting. And, and as we all want this to go away, there's no good or bad in this really, right? Like we just wash your hands, sit, stay home when you're sick. And we all hopefully will see this go away soon. This is the Shift Podcast. Let's go all the way across the Pacific to where there's a winter and talk to one of our favorite um, uh, Kiwi, Canadian, Japanese snowboard dudes, man. It's time for the International Dispatch. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. All right, he's live from Japan. He's here with us. He was part of the ship, one of our content producers. Uh, Potato Chip Gilbert uh, was the name of his imaginary cat, which he still has not got yet. Uh, he went snowboarding in northern Japan last week. He has come back. He did not uh, get trapped in the mountains. He is all right, and he looks handsome as ever. Hey, Chris, happy new year, buddy. 
Happy New Year. Yeah, I did. It was fully sick. It was an awesome time up there. Five days in Nisiko in Hokkaido. Uh, best powder in the world. Uh, got some good turns in and uh, nearly got trapped by a snowstorm on New Year's Day. Um, I was cheap. And so I took the cheapest flight home, which was at like the last flight of the day back to Tokyo, which is like at nine o'clock at night. But there's a snowstorm in the middle of the day and all the midday flights got canceled. And all of those people, because it's Oshogatsu in Japan at the moment, everyone's traveling around for New Year's, seeing their families and stuff. And so if my flight had been canceled, I wouldn't have been able to get on a plane for six days. Which six means days? I prob- six days. Six days. And so I was lucky. So, uh, yeah, I, I might not be here talking to you right now. I might be. Well, wow. I, I would be. I'd just be in a different geographical location. Um, well, first, but no, I had, I would like, had a great time. I'd like to say, just say that uh, I think it's incredibly insensitive of you to talk about how sick your snowboarding experience was right here in front of Corona Ryan. I mean, I think that's not very nice. <laughs> Is that what you're calling him? We've had a couple. We've had a couple of different good nicknames. Uh, he, he, what was the thing you said before we went to break? Ryan's uh, positively excited to talk to you, something like that. I like that one a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my dad would have told you just to like cough it up and walk it off. He'd probably call you crying Ryan. You know, just, yeah. You know, get back back to in the day, Ryan. the old mentality. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you made it back. I mean, you're not the only one all over North America, of course, with. Uh, people calling in sick to work. There's a lot of uh, holes in aviation and people, flights getting canceled. My God, I don't know if you saw the numbers over Christmas. Like there was thousands of flights that got canceled. Yeah. No, I saw yeah, a bunch of mates have been affected by it as well. And, um, you know, I, I tend not to look at any numbers at the moment because <laughs> I'm looking at numbers. Usually that number is bad in any respect. Yeah. So I stay, I stay away from the numbers and stick to the ABCs at the moment. Um, Tokyo, just by the by, it looks like it's on the brink of uh, falling over into the COVID cliff as well. Um, mm-hmm. We were like 10, 10, 20 cases a day, and we're like, it's coming, it's coming. And then it was 50 cases a day, and now it's 150 cases a day, and today it's jumped up to 400, and then it's going to be 1,000, blah, 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 blah. So, and you, and your case number is your city, though, right? Like, that's not the state yeah, or the province. That's just, no, that's just Tokyo City. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I only look at Tokyo City. I mean, Okinawa is pretty bad. Like, there's like 600. The army base in Okinawa is is um, running riot with COVID. And Osaka is pretty bad, as always, because they're just a bunch of party animals down there. They can't stop. Um, so, you know, the restrained Tokyoites have, have, have done their best. But uh, it looks like it's looming. Um, so did you, uh, did you see the Ontario since it. you used to be a Canadian? Did you, did you see the Ontario numbers this week? Yeah, no, I did. I did. And I've been yeah. reading Doug Ford's, um, I, I my, my, uh, I've got a friend actually, uh, shout out to Laura McQuillan on CBC, uh, CBC, CBC. Yeah. CBC. Sorry. I, I don't know why I've been reading about the CDC and the CBC today, and, <laughs> but, um, Laura, Laura, my friend, I saw it. She retweeted, um, somebody and she was. You know, just Doug Ford a while ago was talking about how, oh, no, it's it's okay. You know, like Ontario is still fine. We don't need to prep anything. You know, or like we have to prep, but we will. Don't worry about it. And that was just before Christmas. And now it's like we don't have enough hospital beds. So uh, I, yeah. I have been staying roughly, roughly across that. And, um, you know, good, you know, hang in there to all my mates over in Ontario. I have a long history with Ottawa and, uh, and Quebec, and it's got a big part of my heart. So, um Hang in there, everyone. Oh, mate, yeah. this is getting very bleak. It is, it is it very bleak. Let's uh, let's uh, let's talk about potato shortages then, since we're being so bleak. 
Okay, yeah, uh, we can't talk about Potato Chip Gilbert because he's not real, but we can talk about Potato Chip Japan. <laughs> um, right. Uh, McDonald's, uh, McDonald's, over the Christmas period from the 24th to the 30th of last month, December, didn't have any potatoes. And if, if you didn't, don't have any potatoes, Shane, you can't make french fries. Um, so it's uh, because you guys over there in in Canucland in Canada, you had all our potatoes um, due to the supply issues caused by the floods you guys had over there in BC, and uh, also you know just you know that thing COVID. Uh, you know there's still supply chain issues around the world. That means that all of Japan's potatoes um, that McDonald at least that those with which McDonald's makes French fries uh, were kind of held up in the port near Vancouver. Uh, so over the Christmas period, um, <laughs> the McDonald's Japan asked customers to please restrain themselves and purchase only the small sizes of French fries. Do not go greedy and crazy and get the medium and large size, although the large size here is pretty much a North American um, small size anyway. Um, and it's also... Our sizes are way out of wild, and this was even down in the States. Yeah. Like large is like a bucket. I know. Yeah, no, I know. I remember when I first went to L.A. in uh, 2003, my first time there, I went straight to the Burger King and I was like, give me one of those really huge cups of soda that I've read so much about or seen in movies and stuff. And they gave me like this hat, you know, like a 10 gallon hat, which is a cup. And then I put it under the thing and I was like, iced tea, what's that? And I just, it was like, like nest tea. And I filled up with nest tea and I took one sip and I'm like, this is disgusting. And I poured the whole thing out. It was, was a waste. But yeah, unsweetened? Things, things are big. No, it was sweetened. It was way oh. too sweet. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought iced tea would be like, you know, like ice, like literally cold tea. And it was, this is a boring story. Let's get back to potatoes. Um, very good also, potatoes. It, yeah, in Japan, we've also <laughs> just um, overcome a, uh, a a chicken shortage as well. Um, <gasps> Not I, a chicken I shortage. KFC at Christmas. I, I know. Uh, well, I think the imported chicken. So at Seven Eleven here, because Seven in Japanese is Nana, right? And you can get you can get really good chicken at Seven Elevens, and they call them Nana Chicky because you know Seven Chicken Nana Chicky. So I love my nana chicky. I need my nana chicky every day, right? Sounds dirty. And it was, well, it, you know what? Nana chicky is dirty, Shane. It's down and dirty and it's good. And right. and there's been no nana chickies anywhere. And I don't know what to do with myself. But these are the imported chickens over the Christmas period. Uh, Japan actually has very special chickens. Uh, there's, a, I think, I, oh, I don't know the details about it, but apparently there's more... The variety of breeds of chicken is more diverse here. Um, for example, they raise a kind of chicken that you can eat raw. Like you don't have to cook it. You can have raw chicken on like a, like a sushi sort of thing. And oh. so I think that they raise the special... I've eaten it. It's kind of scary, but fine. Um, the, you, they raise a special KFC Christmas chicken. I am just traumatizing all the vegetarians in British Columbia right now, but you know, they rate, so they have a special KFC chicken that they, that they um, raise and bring up. So uh, chicken was okay for the Christmas period, um, but French fries were not. Um, but I, I will do some boot leather reporting tomorrow and I'm going to go to the McDonald's and, and check up uh, on the, uh, the French fry situation. I'll let y'all know. All right. I like it. Update yeah. it. Okay. So where are we going next? Are we going, um, are we, 
Are we going to the bar or where, where are you taking us next year on the International Dispatch? <laughs> It's a very European-centric uh, show from here. Uh, the bar, going to the bar. Um, someone's already been to the bar. Um, I, I feel like this is a very, you know, somewhat unfair headline. Um, this is from RomaniaInsider.com, which I just love already. Drunk mm. Irishman breaks into Romania's Parliament Palace. Um, Romania's Parliament in Bucharest, by the way, if you should Google image search it, is the heaviest building in the entire world. Um, I've always wondered how, you know, I guess it's just like the, the, the weight of all the materials combined because, you know, you can't lift it. So, but it's the heaviest building in the world. And apparently a drunk Irishman, um, broke into it, uh, around, you know, just after Christmas, December 27th. Um, he was partying apparently in Bucharest's old town, uh, the night before. And apparently according to some news sources, he was looking for a toilet. And according to other news sources, he was looking for his hotel. And he, oh God. and and if if you if you search, if you search again, have a look at um the the picture of of Romania's parliament buildings. It's huge. It has like it's massive. Like this guy did not first of all did not mistake this building for his hotel, and secondly, if he's looking for a toilet. It's got several lawns all around it. It's just green all. It's just it's like Versailles. It's just like mostly lawns, right? Yeah, and so New Zealand. he had to he had to jump the fence, and then like if he wanted to go to the toilet, there's trees. There's several places that he could relieve himself along the way. So this is clearly a man who's like, ah, I'm gonna break into Romania's parliament and tell my mates home. He got up to the third floor. You know, so he, this man is obviously he's he's not looking for a loo, and it's obviously not his hotel. Although you know, it depends, you know, how sloshed he was. Um, mm. But he told the uh, the um, oh god gendarmes. Oh, I think I got that right. He told the gendarmes who found him that he was looking to get his hotel room. They took him into custody. They couldn't interrogate him. He was drunk. He was charged with destruction of public property, breaking into a public building, and. Uh, that's the end of that story, but I am not buying it for a second, mate. That is, you knew you bloody well knew that it's not your hotel, and you knew it's not a loo. So what are you doing? <laughs> Get your story straight, and I, I'm, I want to find out. And you're sticking to it. The International Dispatcher, Christopher Gilbert, joins us from Tokyo. Um, hypnosis yeah. at movies? Isn't this everyone's worst nightmare? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's a Swedish festival in um, Gothenburg. It's called the Gothenburg Film Festival, and I've you know it, it's kind of very arty, arty, hearty, farty, you know. And, and, and this, this festival has done stuff in the past, which I'll get into later. But yes, they're they're going to hypnotize the audience before they sit down and watch some movies. And apparently, it's a triple header: uh, Moria star, starring Tilda Swinton is playing, uh, Land of Dreams with Matt Dillon is playing. And uh, apparently a psychological thriller called Speak No Evil is playing. Um, so a hypnotist is going to come in to these sittings of these, these films, these screenings, and perform ma mass hypnosis on the audience. And this is a quote, transforming the audience's state of mind in accordance with the mood and theme of the film, organizers have said. The hypnotist will only break the spell... <laughs> like break the spell like he's a wizard the hypnotist will only break the spell after the screening 
um, according to That's the artistic weird. director of the festival. It's, it, it, it is weird, right? And this is the bit that, that gets me. Uh, Jonas Holmberg, who's the artistic director of this festival, says, the experiment is meant to, quote, raise questions about submission, transgression, and control, made all the more relevant by the rules and regulations of the past year with you know, COVID-19. He also talked about how watching a film in the cinema can be extremely hypnotic. And this is to me then, shouldn't you just watch the film without the hypnotism? Like, shouldn't you be, if if the film is good, shouldn't you be hypnotized by it anyway? If it's about don't trust the hypnosis of propaganda, (laughs) would you really trust the person who's going to hypnotize you to watch the propaganda? Yeah. That seems... Like that, if if you look back in history of some of the most evil people in the world, I'm pretty sure that's what they tried to do on the regular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to get my head around this because it's 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 sort of like someone saying to me, "If you stand in front of a mirror, you can see yourself." So we put two mirrors in front of you, sort of thing, you know. And it it just it was like, well, I've already got the experience. Of the first mirror you know i've already got the experience of it's a terrible analogy but anyway like i can already i, I i'm already getting the effect of the film you know it feels mm-hmm. me to hypnotize me i don't need to be hypnotized um yeah. it does sound truly terrifying though if only because i'll be in a room with a whole bunch of other people who probably have deluded themselves into thinking they're hypnotized and i'm looking around me at all these people this like you know open mouth drooling like cows at the screen and i'm like none of us are hypnotized we're just at the movies you know but that would be the scariest part of it for me i think i would just leave um this festival by or the way you would cluck has... like a chicken <laughs> that's a great idea just uh just like just that's like oh sorry wrong hypnosis guys <laughs> i'm in the wrong room <laughs> hey but i don't smoke anymore this is good yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, the, this, this festival has previously uh, done isolation screenings in a lighthouse in the North Sea where people spent by themselves seven days in the lighthouse just watching movies, okay? And another one is coffin screenings inside a sarcophagus where people were uh, tested for their claustrophobia by being locked into a sarcophagus and the movie is projected onto the roof of the sarcophagus. So, I mean... It, it ain't for, like I'm a pretty arty guy. I love film festivals. I I'm love art. You know, I got booted out of reporting. You know, you know, like the newsroom because I was too arty farty for news. But like this, this is too much for me. Like it just makes my eyes roll in circles around in my head. You know, this sort of hmm. we're gonna hypnotize the audience and then you'll enjoy the movie. No, just like enjoy the movie. It's meant to be relaxing. We have enough serious stuff in the world, right? <laughs> That's wild. Okay, we have time for one more, Chris. Can you tell us about the uh, encouragement to get vaccinated story? Okay, yeah. So, uh, 700, okay, this is in Berlin, or near Berlin, sorry, but it's in Germany. Uh, 700 sheep and goats were arranged in the shape of a syringe to encourage vaccinations. Uh, Tasty bits of bread were laid out in the shape of a massive syringe at a farm. Uh, to get the ca- uh, the cows and the goats to you know look like a syringe from the air, they were arranged. I like the idea of arranging animals. They were arranged on Monday, 
into the shape of a roughly 330 foot syringe and a field in, okay, Schneverdingen. Okay, I'm actually going to copy this and I'm going to paste it into the group chat, guys, in the Zoom call. See well, if Ryan, Ryan's say, the king of uh, speaking German, so um, we probably should like, get Ryan to do that. Ryan? Oh, I, I can't hear Ryan. He's, he's, never he's coming across the Zoom call. He's he's all over the place right now. I'm here. Okay. All right. I was just sorry. I was just getting into character. Schner, Schnever. Oh yeah, of course. It's a Schneverdingen. Yeah, it's simple. It's a Schneverdingen. See, It is Schneverdingen, right? Okay. You, How about uh, this one, Ryan? So the story is the the goats and the cows in the shape of a needle. Can you do that for us? Tell us the story, Ryan. Well, of course, you must be literal with the Germans people, so you must have the the needle in focus all the time. It must be it must be done <laughs> at oh the Webgeschmidt Kortchen. Oh my God! How so did you get German. so good at that? Oh uh, yes, well, okay. So <laughs> wait, Ryan just said the name of the shepherd. I po- I pasted this in the chat as well. As I would I would say Webgeschmidt Kortchen. Yeah. How do you we how do you say it, Ryan? Well, uh, the W is what, a V. Yeah, Wiebke, is it Wiebke Schmidt? Um, Kochen might be Jochen. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Huh. German okay. is a pretty f- a, amazing language. Like, you know, we say tank, and they say Panzerkampfwagen. Like they've got giant <laughs> words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so don't take um, my word for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dylan Morin has the best ever. Um, description of the german language where he said it sounds like typewriters eating tinfoil falling down the stairs and i absolutely love that um, um there's one yeah. more that i'm going to get and paste in here since we do it um okay. here ryan this is what i was told was the longest word in the english language or sorry german language uh what am i saying here am i am i insulting people you're not going to get fired okay good uh, uh, google translate it a horchen schwanz, a a a horchen schwanz. Yeah. Anyway, it's great working with you. Thanks for being here. But I was told oh, squirrel's okay. tail. Squirrel's yeah. tail oh, yes. is the longest. Yeah, squirrel's tail. Yeah. Inschludigung is my favorite German word. That's just basically a German word for excuse me. Can you imagine a like bumping into someone schwanz. on the side of the street and just going Inschludigung? I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Anyway, goats and cows. When I was in Neukölln, I I learned how to say the little B sound that's in the alphabet there, which is like, you know, I think it's how they write Strasse, is S-T-R. It has a little non-English thing with B-B-E, and the B is S. So I I, I learned some phonics when I was there, but not... Actually, I've got a... Oh, man, should I tell this story? When I was in Berlin, my friend took me to a club, and I convinced myself while I was there that I could speak German. And I can't speak a word of German, right? And I was in this club talking to this guy, and I was a little bit inebriated in German. And all I was doing was being like, yeah, yeah, you know, just saying stuff like that, or like, nine, nine. And, like, this guy was saying to me, like, look, I can tell English was is your mother tongue. You can. I speak English. You can just talk to me in English. And I was like, nah, nah, it's fine, y'all. Like, this is not fine. I was just like speaking oh, in a sense of German accent. And my tip to everybody is if you want to make friends, 
in different countries don't just you know speak in their accent when oh yeah my club. buddy ryan used to do that oh we went down God. to mexico and he spoke slow and loud and with a spanish accent in english somehow that was going to help it doesn't work okay ryan uh before we say goodbye to chris there are three words that i put yes. into the chat uh can you say those in your german accent please <laughs> which is uh, goat cow vaccination the point oh. of the whole story oh yes so, so yeah very quickly uh the cat the cows and the goats they formed a uh, uh syringe uh to encourage people to get vaccinated i don't know how that works i look at a cow and a goat i'm like cool a cow and a goat i don't think you know put a needle in my arm but yeah good luck good job to uh we <laughs> Sir Christopher Gilbert, uh, you would never believe it, but he's actually in Tokyo <laughs> uh, with our international dispatch, a little tour around the world of all of the things in the wild news stories. Thanks, Chris. Happy New Year, buddy. Good to see your face again. Yeah, Happy New Year, everyone. Keep safe and healthy out there yes. in the world, especially you, right? Yeah. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for the World of Weird Things. Let's hit it. Welcome, Welcome to the World of Weird Things with Greg Fish. Well, first of all, Happy New Year to you, Fishy. I, um, I, uh, th- this, this is a, definitely a World of Weird Things that we're starting with here in the program, isn't it? Yeah, I decided, you know, let's, let's dive right in. Yeah, it's weird. Okay, so um, there's all kinds of big words here that's in this whole thing that I don't even know. I mean, I've read the thing, but I have no idea what we're actually going to talk about. So this is one of those things where I get to let Fish be the uber nerd that he is. Quantum entanglement, tardigrades, headlines, viral, uh, I, extra mobile bursts of radiation. Like, what the? What's going on? What is this? What have you done? Where are we going? I don't even know what questions to ask. So I'm just one giant question mark on the radio right now. Well, actually, this is why I wanted to talk about the study. So what ended up happening is that a small team of researchers published a study about essentially making tardigrades, these tiny little creatures, also known as water bears, they're actually really, really good at surviving very extreme conditions because they can put themselves in a state of suspended animation effectively. They can just they can just shut down um, and survive literally being hurled into space. And we know that because we've done that. So these researchers say that they made them a part of a quantum computer. And so I got a bunch of messages and a bunch of people asking me, what the hell are you talking about? And I started looking through the study, and my reaction was also, wait, what the hell are they talking about? Uh, So I wanted to talk about it specifically because this is one of those things where it made it to a lot of timelines. It made it to a lot of people's social feeds, and there's a lot of really big words, and they're very poorly explained. And it seems like something very cool has happened, but you have no idea what. So I thought, well, let's try and figure out what actually happened. And then does it actually mean anything? And then after that, does this impact you? Should you worry about it? Should you care about it? Why are you seeing this stuff that's coming across your feed that you probably don't understand and really aren't meant to? Okay. So what is this little tardy bear thing? 
looks like a tick under a microscope or something. Yeah, it, it looks a little weird. There's many different species of it, but uh, they're basically or maybe a grub they, they have with legs. Yeah, that's that's what most of them look like. They look like these these little fat grubs with legs. Um, they live in water, and they are very very good at essentially putting themselves in a state of suspended animation when there's no water or when there's a very harsh environment going on. They have a lot of little adaptations that make them very, very tough survivors. They are extremely difficult to kill. So a lot of scientists have been using them for all sorts of really weird experiments, trying to kind of see how far can we push living versus non-living, suspended animation versus alive. Uh, what can living things survive? Can they travel through space? That, so all those sorts of questions. Tardigrades are excellent, um, excellent test subjects for that because they can survive a lot and they're everywhere. So that makes them, that makes them such, such easy and uh, fun research targets. So, but in this particular case... Well, wait, suspended animation... <laughs> I'm probably gonna do this a couple of times because I don't know. So suspended animation means like they're not dead, but they're not really living and alive. They're just kind of on pause. It makes me think of like Michael Jackson cryo chamber, or like that's where Elvis is right now. Exactly. That they just Perfect. they just hit pause on all of their biological functions, and then when there's water, when I the conditions are right. Yep, they play. Yeah, well, that's actually one of the reasons why we studied them. We want to try and figure out how to do that with humans. The applications are actually amazing, especially if someone is severely injured. We can put them in mm. suspended animation. We can figure out a way to treat them. We don't have to. We're not going to run out of time in that particular uh, scenario. So, again, right. lots of lots of amazing applications oh, to study how these things so, work. Like if there was a car crash and yep. say there wasn't enough blood for that blood type close by, you could almost push the pause button on on the suspended animation VCR, and then when the blood arrived, they can, in theory, reanimate you, give you the blood that you were short of because it would have killed you. And maybe that's not the best example, but I'm trying to put it like literally into our lives today if we could imagine all the things. It would be something like that. No, that's actually a perfect example. And there's uh, there's actually some militaries that have been working on similar research because, you know, they can they can prevent losses on the battlefield, and that technology would translate extremely well in extreme conditions right. like a really bad car crash or a really yeah. bad accident, et cetera. Et Get someone to the hospital. So, yeah, 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 yeah. You're 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 exactly you're barking up exactly the right tree. So <laughs> you know what it is? It's kind of like a weekend at Bernie's, except that he's not dead, really. Yeah, yeah. Bernie can come back, but okay. In this <laughs> okay. case, in this case, we have these tardigrades. And they're in suspended animation, and scientists decided they're going to cool them to almost absolute zero. Okay. And they, we know that they can survive at those temperatures. And then what they decided to do is they tried to they tried to put it into a quantum computing circuit. So, again, that might big need, words. Might need to explain that one. Yeah. Again, big words. Let's explain it a little bit more 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 simply. What happens? is that when you cool things to almost absolute zero and put them very, very close together, okay. they kind of start acting like one system. Like they start acting like one big thing. You can't tell where one ends and the other begins. And then if you disrupt one of these things, or at least where you think one of these things is, 
the rest of the things in that system react. That's called oh. quantum entanglement. If you don't, if this sounds really weird and you don't know how that happens, don't worry because Albert Einstein himself couldn't figure it out, and we still haven't quite figured out exactly why this happens or how this all works. That's actually but they know why that we it do happens. a lot of these experiments. We just know that it happens, and it does some things where we're not really sure if it breaks the laws of physics or not. But we just know this is this is it. This is the fact. And as little sense as it makes, this is just the way that it is. We're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on. In fact, if you do know exactly how that happens and what's going on, please make sure to start writing your paper and collect your Nobel Prize for the Grand Unified Theory of literally everything. So hmm. again, if you don't know how this works, not a big deal. Just know that this is just the way that it is. Now, in that particular quantum computing circuit, what, they're, what they essentially were trying to do is they were trying to say that a tardigrade became a part of that circuit, that quantum data was represented by the states of that tardigrade in that quantum circuit. Okay, might need you to say that one again. So... Again, this is see this is this is the this is again this is one of the this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this study in a little bit more depth. So, yeah. in this particular I'm with you. case, I just missed that. Yeah. One. Quantum computers operate with something known as qubits. So, instead of zeros and ones, it's zeros, ones, maybe all zeros, maybe all ones. So the idea is instead of just trying to compute how many zeros and ones, you're essentially just throwing out all the possibilities and trying to see, okay, how many zeros and ones do I have at the end of this? The reason why you would do that is because there's certain algorithms, especially that have to do with cryptography, with pattern recognition, with certain types of artificial neural networks or AI that would benefit greatly from that because instead of brute force computation, you're essentially just kind of letting the physics dictate where the answer is. Huh. So what they're claiming oh, is that they okay. made the tardigrade an integral part of that particular process. Okay, so let the let the grub be a part of the math, really. Yes. Okay. Except, uh -oh. except there's there's a big hitch with that. We don't actually know that they did that because the data that they say shows it actually doesn't show that at all. What happened was they introduced this you know, thing that's actually made out of trillions of atoms into a system that's made of a few atoms. And then they essentially said that, oh, this thing with trillions of atoms behaved like one big atom. And we don't know that. There's no evidence for that. There's nothing that would indicate that this is exactly what happened. And essentially, the people who know how quantum computers work and physicists all said, hey, it it's possible that it interacted with this quantum system that you have, but it's possible that some of the molecules in it interacted with it and not the whole thing. And it's also okay. very possible that it was just there. And because, you know, it's this big thing compared to all these atoms, it was just putting out normal electromagnetic fields that anything does at that scale. So we haven't learned anything new. We haven't seen anything new. There's absolutely no indication that it really did anything. Which begs the question of, well, how did the study get published? Mm -hmm. Well, the study itself was a preprint. No one actually peer-reviewed this. It was placed on a website called Arxiv, which is really just kind of like a storage of preprints. Like if you have some cool idea, you can write it up, you can send it to them, and they'll post it. They don't, they, they really, the only thing that they care about is that it seems like you 
at least knew something that you were talking about and you filed this paper correctly. You know, so it, that sounds it, problematic it, in general. Well, it's not necessarily problematic because really what it is is just a way for people to share their papers. It's not really meant for someone to to go through it and say, "Oh, I like this paper and it's on this, you know, in this storehouse of scientific papers. Therefore, I'm going to pretend that this is like done, done a done deal, yeah. a fact." And it and it okay. really isn't. So, this paper has not been peer-reviewed. It is unlikely that it's going to get published in a, in a major journal because it, it has a number of deficiencies. But here's the thing. It's got the word tardigrade. It's got the word quantum. It's got the word computing. It's got some really cool stuff going on. So a bunch of popular science bloggers and websites who really need those clicks to come in because they're judged right. by the clicks because their owners are telling them, you got to get the clicks in, you got to get the views in saw the thing that hits all the SEO keywords and right. started pumping out articles about it. So that's how it ended up on their, on their feed. They found a paper that has a bunch of buzzwords that they know gets views, that they know gets clicks. Right. Uh, and, and they just you know bamboozled you with a lot of really big, complicated words. And people, so greed kicks in. Nobody understands it because it is just astronomically complicated for the normal layperson to get. So they share it all and create some sort of quasi-accurate but not scientific summary that's clickbait that makes people go, oh, no way, they did what? And they click it. Almost exactly, except I would also say that it's not just the layperson who doesn't quite understand everything that's going on. It's also the experts because all of this is incredibly unbelievably fiendishly complicated. This is literally some of the most complicated science that we are doing today around quantum computers, quantum entanglement, um, combating decoherence in quantum systems. These are like incredibly complicated problems that we don't know if we'll ever even be able to solve. So hmm. again, this is one of those things where it, it, there's a lot of people who look at it and they say, well, I, this just makes me feel like I'm stupid because there's all these huge words that I don't understand. And it really is just no one really understands them. And that's okay because that's the whole point of science. We're trying to figure out what we don't know. And then when we identify what we don't know, we try and carve it into pieces that we can figure out what's going on and then put together a cohesive picture. And 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 okay. that's actually very and that's actually very important when it comes to studies like that, when it comes to stories like that. I, I think that we really need to normalize, especially in when we talk about popular science, when we talk about science in general, we need to normalize the idea that we don't necessarily always know what's going on. And that's okay. It's okay to say I'm not, I don't really understand this. I'm not really sure what's happening. Because the whole point is now at least you know what you don't know. Let's break it down. Let's see how can we get to a point where we, un where we understand it as much as we possibly can. So what's the impact on normal people? I mean, this is a like a wild science story of little grubs that plug into computers and suspend their animation and, and communicate with each other when they're not living. Um, so... Of course, there's probably all kinds of philosophical about, you know, multiple universe, suspended, whatever, whatever. There's all kinds of places it could go. I get that part. But what's the impact that would make it so exciting for anybody to to read? Because, I mean, it still seems so far out there. Or is it just a really great example of terrible people's behavior? Well, it, it again, we, we don't 
necessarily actually know what happened. It's just there's 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 a bunch of quantum stuff that we're trying to make sense of, and that was that was an experiment to try and figure out if we can learn more about it. For normal everyday people, this doesn't really have much of an impact. But you know, it it, it really is just about it, in this particular case with this particular study is just about shoving content that has certain buzzwords that get people to click and go ooh and ah. And 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 trying to make money off of that. That's that's really yeah. all. That's really all that it is. In is terms this a of, signature of our society, though. Yeah, unfortunately, it is because the incentives that we have for a lot of media are quite terrible. Because really, what what it is is that because we've kind of decided that we're going to have advertisers pay for everything. Yeah. The incentive is now we need we need people's attention because what we're really doing is we're selling attention. So yeah. however we can get that attention, we don't particularly care. We just care about the fact that the attention exists. Yeah. So that's really the problem. And, and and this is one of the examples that seems very benign, but then you start taking a lot of political debates. You start talking about um, a lot of debates about policy and infrastructure and green energy and space exploration and all of these important topics and all of these things that we need to talk about. And you inject all that clickbait, you inject all that false controversy, because again, it's just about getting your attention. It's not about educating you. It's not about giving you the facts. Yeah. It's just about getting you to click. Yeah. That is Years it. ago, I heard one. Uh, this is the crossroads of the media, right? So what do you want? People always say, oh, the media this or whatever. And um, wh what do you want is always the question that I always ask you, because here's your choice. Your choice is, is you can have state-run media that is going to be completely driven on propaganda because the money comes from the government. Or you can have um, for-profit private enterprise media, which is driven by profit. There aren't very many not-for-profit media outlets. I'm sure there are a few. But the reality is, is that um, you can't... You, in order to have the communications of what's going on in the world, there has to be an incentive for people to do it. So it's either going to be influenced by the advertiser, which is actually not influenced by the advertiser. It's influenced by the agency that's connecting you to the advertiser. And it's influenced by, or it's influenced by the state. So it's, this is interesting because it, it, you know, that's that bias thing kicking in again, Greg, that, that kicks in for everybody. And, and, you know, whether we're talking about COVID or whatever, people will just share headlines because it's exciting or righteous. They won't read the story or understand the story and do the work. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And really what it comes down to is we have to essentially have a way of saying, hey, we want quality and we're willing to pay for it. And this is going to be, and this is a big problem right now because we're not used to paying for news anymore. We're not used to paying for any of this stuff. And the problem is when, when different companies erect paywalls, what a lot of times ends up happening is that quality content is now expensive. The lies and clickbait are free and yeah. people are not used to paying for stuff for this kind of stuff anymore. So they go to the clickbait, they go to the lies, they go to the propaganda and mm -hmm. and that's really and that's really the problem we need to someone needs to crack how do we somehow make the truth accessible and quality um and and allow quality to compensate the people who are making good content or rather uh, uh, allow a, some sort of a quality control system that lets money 
for yeah. good news end up in the right hands. Well, and, and, peer and that's a difficult is, problem. It is a difficult problem, and and this is by, my bias on this because as a as a person who's worked in the media for so long, you see when when I know that the media doesn't always get it right, like the tra uh, traditional media doesn't always get it right. But here as broadcasters, we have to participate. We choose to participate in the Broadcast Standards Council. So there is a uh, a group of our peers that can hold us into account. You know, but now that everyone has a microphone on Twitter or blogs or whatever, there's no standards to it. And um, not to say that the Standards Council fixes everything, but at least it's a start that takes it like, whoa, what are you doing, man? This doesn't even make sense anymore. And and the Internet doesn't have any of that standard. And we keep seeing this over and over again is that we can't seem to we just can't trust humans to live in integrity versus greed. And that's deeply philosophical, but it's true. First of all, ouch, since I do resemble some of those remarks, uh, being, <laughs> you know, no, but being someone true, though, with a microphone. I, yeah, but you guys do work hard with your integrity, though, right? Like, this is an important thing for you. So that that's not aimed squarely at, you know, the work that you do with the world of weird things and all that stuff. No, I just no, I just wanted to, to acknowledge that fact. That, but but really, there's, there's definitely times that I have gotten it wrong, and I went and I fixed the articles and said, hey, I talked to more people i figured this out i needed to update yeah. this uh wow. so and the, i do take it to your point I do the media is very guilty serious. of putting a policy like newspapers used to be very guilty of putting a front page story that got it wrong and the apology on the very last bottom corner two days later that nobody would ever read it right like so there have been mistakes all along the way too this is fascinating it's neat to hear that um we can get into such nerdy nerdy world of weird things stuff and to see what's going on in our everyday lives is still happening when people are trying to look smart by sharing stuff they don't understand. I think that's fascinating, Greg. Yep, that's exactly I that's exactly why I wanted to talk about it. Love it. Worldofweirdthings.com, Greg Fish. Thank you, brother. Happy New Year. Thanks for being here. Happy New Year. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.